Hey, and welcome to the Stories Unveiled podcast, where we talk about the purpose in every story and how to live in freedom from your past. I am your host, Ashley Sears, and each episode you're invited into a conversation about real life between me and a friend. I believe if an issue is addressed in the Bible, then it's important to create a safe and supportive space to discuss it. While some of these conversations are not easy, I do believe they are worth it. If you like what you hear, please visit our ministry at storiesunveiledconference.com. Thank you for joining today. This episode is brought to you in part by Pure Desire Ministries. Lives and relationships are being destroyed by sexual brokenness, pornography, and betrayal trauma. Pure Desire believes you were designed to live a life without sexual brokenness and the effects it can have on your future. After working with men, women, and churches for over 20 years, Pure Desire has developed a comprehensive plan to breaking free, healing relationships, and getting your life back from sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma. Through recovery and healing groups, a clinical program, and partnerships, Pure Desire is helping the church effectively address unwanted sexual behaviors, betrayal trauma, and the impact of sexual brokenness. To join a group, start counseling, or get more information, go to puredesire.org. You can take your life back from sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma. Start your journey of healing today. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 18 of the Stories Unveiled podcast. My longtime friend, Amanda Johnson, joined me to have a vulnerable conversation about life beyond trauma and assault. This conversation is raw and real. It addresses a well-known court case while deep diving into the reality of walking through public trauma and private pain. We will address mature topics, so this episode may require sensitive ears. Amanda Johnson is a fifth-generation Nevada native. She grew up in Reno and graduated from the University of Nevada, Reno. She is married with three beautiful girls, is an author, speaker, and founder of the nonprofit Tears Speak, where she advocates for victims coming out of trauma. Her new book, Beyond Survival, should be out before the end of 2023, and you can find both of those resources in the podcast notes. I am honored to share this conversation with you. I hope you enjoy it. Amanda, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So we're just going to jump right in. And I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit about growing up in your home. For instance, what were some expectations around, say, like getting your driver's license? I know that seems very pointed. <laughs> yes, it does. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so when I was five, I remember my parents signed my sister and I up for taekwondo lessons. And shortly thereafter, I was informed that um, I needed to get my second degree black belt in order to get my driver's license when I turned 16. Both my sister and I did. <laughs> and um, it, it wasn't until I was about nine when I realized that that was just a rule for our household and not for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and you were five. I was five, yes. <laughs> and you... I didn't know at the time like what a driver's license was, but I knew I wanted it. Like if I had to work that hard for it, then it must be worth <laughs> getting. <laughs> That's hilarious. Did you have any other um, like expectations or rules or anything like that in your house? For driving or just, or, for, or just for whatever. Um, I mean, I think that just like sends the, sets the precedence for how 
my sister and I were just raised to be active participants in our own self-defense to be able to take care of ourselves should the need arise and um, to be aware of our surroundings and different things like that. Like it wasn't so much spoken, Mm -hmm. but it was very much understood. Yeah. And it's just you and your sister, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you are a fifth generation native uh, Nevadan. Is that correct? I am. Yes. Your grandpa and your parents, mom and dad, both graduated from the, from the University Nevada, Reno. Correct. And mm-hmm. so those roots are super deep. <laughs> they are. Yeah. There's a lot of pride there in my family for just our, you know, like what we've accomplished and where we came from. Yeah. So you also graduated from the University of Nevada in Reno. What were you going to college for? What was your degree in? Secondary education in English. Awesome. So you attended for four-ish years, we'll say, right? (laughs) Um, You attended. Yeah, I I had to do a few victory laps. So it took me six years to get my bachelor's degree. (laughs) It's okay. We'll find out more about that in a minute. Um, Yeah. But you were attending UNR um, for a few years, and you can correct me on what year. I think I think we're about to talk about your junior year of college. It was my fourth year. Yeah. Oh, so your senior. Okay, it was your fourth year. You were on the home stretch. Um, what? Something happened during midterms. So about October of your fourth year at UNR. Um, yeah. Will you talk to me a little bit about what happened one night? Yeah. So like you said, it was midterms. It was Monday night, October 22nd in 2007. And um, the education classes always got out really late because once we got higher into those classes, the university would subcontract out teachers. And so they were always having the the classes themselves were always late. So having to leave at 10 p.m. was not an anomaly for me. Mm-hmm. Um And so after my midterm that night, I left with a group of people and because it had just been ingrained in me and my martial arts training that there's safety in numbers. And um, we all walked to the parking garage and I had parked specifically in that parking garage because it was so close to where my class was and it was going to be seemingly safer to get to my vehicle there than it would have been to go to off-campus parking a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. Um, as we approached the parking garage, we, we you know, were just talking about the midterm we had just taken and how we thought we did. And I was the only one who parked on the ground floor. And so I didn't see anything between myself and my vehicle. And so I wished the group a good, a good week, told them I would see him, you know, the following class. And as they went up, I started going to my car. And then that's when a few moments later, it became abundantly clear to me that what I had not seen was a man who was hunched behind the wheel well of a truck in a sedan. And he grabbed me from behind, placed a pistol to my temple, and then he brutally raped me for several minutes. In the parking garage in the parking garage on the same floor where the police park their cruisers less than 50 feet away from the campus police office door. Wow. 
I'm so sorry. I've known this story for quite some time and it never, it never isn't shocking to me. Um, statistically yeah. speaking, what happened to you is so rare. Is that correct? The fact that I didn't know my attacker yeah. Yeah. is so rare. Yes. Mm-hmm. So assault is super nuanced, really complicated. Um, there's healing, processing, forgiving, so many things um, that come yeah. after. Um, before we get into kind of the rest of that story, though, because there's obviously more, um, tell me about how you processed this trauma and what just kind of what it was like for you in the um, following days. Oh, yeah. So in the following days, um, immediately after, I did what I had always sworn I would never do if I found myself in that situation. And I took a shower Mm -hmm. because I just went on autopilot. And when we endure trauma like that, it just goes, our brain goes to survival. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we going to do to survive? And so my survival plan was to forget and to just make it go away because that was seemingly easier than dealing with the, the consequences and the, the gravity of what I had just endured. And so, um, yeah, I took a shower and then the next morning I woke up and legitimately thought that I had had the worst nightmare of my life. And I didn't remember what had actually happened until about two weeks later when I went back to the parking garage and my senses were just kind of overloaded. And I would later learn that dissociative amnesia is actually very common Mm -hmm. for sexual assault survivors. It's not uncommon to endure that, but at the time I didn't know that. Man. So you, I mean, there's obviously so much and we'll get into some of that in just a few minutes, but um, tell me what you later learned about your attacker. So, you know, you said a couple weeks later, there was so Mm -hmm. many things that went into that. I remember you and I were working together at the time. We were. And Mm -hmm. while I didn't, well, nobody knew kind of in the moment what had happened. And in those couple, you know, week to few weeks after, nobody really knew. Um, But pretty soon the entire community and the entire state, and I would like to say maybe the entire country ended up knowing this, what happened in this case. So tell me, tell me about that. So my rapist went on to, in my attack was in October. In December, he kidnapped and raped a second victim. And then in January, a young woman went missing. And that is when the entire community learned about him and what was going on because everyone was looking. The search ensued for her. And, um, and then the entire state and then the nation, because the FBI was involved to try to get a profile for this man. And I would later learn that the man who raped me was responsible for her rape and murder as well. Yeah. And ultimately what ended up leading them, what ended up helping find, 
I guess I can rephrase, you helped in that when it comes to, and how did you do that? Yeah. So when she went missing, I, um, I had confided in my roommate about what had happened to me because she knew I was just so volatile and I was very, um, rightfully so I was very difficult to live with because I didn't know how to process everything that was going on. And so when Brianna went missing, she encouraged me to go make a report because she thought that it was the same person. And I, told her no because I was still in denial that it was the same person and she was the one that went to the detectives and let them know my story and once the detectives came to me I cooperated and told them my story in the hopes that you know like they'll they'll hear it and then I'll just be able to move on and and we'll be done but um I sat down with a sketch artist and because they had determined that it was the same person and it was the sketch that I had helped them compose or to come up with that Mm -hmm. helped was very instrumental in leading to his arrest and he did ultimately get arrested and he is he did and Yeah, he's currently sitting on death row in Nevada, and he's serving four consecutive life sentences as well. So he, um, my case is extremely rare in the fact that I didn't know my attacker. Mm -hmm. It's even more rare that I never have to worry about my rapist walking the streets again. Right, right. Because you just never hear that happening. No. So you have been walking through this trauma, I mean, really for years not to say you haven't gone to counseling gotten help and you know worked through right. things but but it never leaves you i mean the the fallout no. of it so you've been walking through this trauma for years there's a lot that goes on um and even while this was happening there was a lot going on in your personal life because like you said mm-hmm. you were in the middle of your final year which unfortunately did not end up being your final year of school right um, yeah just because of all of that right? Like you had to kind of push some educational stuff. Obviously there was more pressing issues. Right. Yeah. Just getting back on campus was so, so hard. Um, and then I think what you're getting to is at the time of my attack, I was dating my now husband and Mm -hmm. we got married seven months after my attack in June. And like all those things were happening on the outside for Mm -hmm. everybody to see and know. And meanwhile, literally walking yeah. through the unthinkable like emotionally right um yeah. Oh, yeah. so what else tell me what else was going on in your life like you met your husband or you were sorry you married your boyfriend your now husband but there mm-hmm. was some issues with friends um in the situation yeah. that like I said we worked together we had similar friend groups how did people in your life respond to this um some people you know as when all of this was going on, I was pretty careful about maintaining my anonymity mm-hmm. or I was trying to maintain my anonymity anyway. And there were some people who I had confided in who I would later learn who didn't believe me mm-hmm. and they didn't confront me face to face. They just started a really nasty rumoring kind of with people that I didn't even confide in and there was a woman that was 
attending um, a Bible study that I was involved in that was part of it. And it just, it, it all kind of came to head or I became aware of it shortly before the trial. So this was like two and a half years after my attack. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just like that betrayal from those women in a lot of ways hurt a whole lot more mm-hmm. than my assault did, which probably sounds really weird. Don't get me wrong. My healing journey with my, from being raped is lifelong and there's no getting around that. However, I didn't know him. He didn't have any responsibility to me other than the fact that he had no business doing that to me as another human being. Right. But I hadn't let him into my inner circle Mm -hmm. and the women that I did let into my inner circle, a handful of them really betrayed that trust and were just really, there's no, like they were just nasty. Yeah nasty women <laughs> I remember that mm-hmm. and it's that's so hard gossip is so bad <laughs> I will just it say is. as a PSA you know when you are struggling to whatever believe something or you're questioning someone to just go to that person and to just before it becomes you know a secondary story or a secondary absolutely you know yeah And I I think, you know, like in that whole thing, I learned that gossip, I mean, it can almost be like, I think you did an episode a while ago about like, it's um, like approved sin or it's sin that's like considered to not be like so bad, like, oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. But then you think you're not hurting anybody, but really you're hurting everybody. And ultimately what I learned too is that when we behave that way towards each other, it breaks the father's heart because that's not the type of relationship he intends for us. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. So this, I mean, you've been wading through these waters. We'll, um, Mm -hmm. we'll get to your book in just a minute, but, uh, there are probably many women who Mm -hmm. can relate to your situation on some level. Talk to me about what life has been like in the wake of this one night that changed everything in October so many years ago. Um, It has been nothing short of a journey, as you well know, because you've walked it with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I am blessed to be a mama of three beautiful girls who I homeschool. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be able to do that. I've had to navigate, though, like as I was going through getting married, finishing school, you know, getting pregnant and um, becoming a mother in reality, everyone around me could could see or think, oh, wow, she's such a survivor. She's doing so good. And on the outside, I really was. But truthfully on the inside I was dead inside because Mm -hmm. my soul died that night there was no me going back to who I was before and so I had to I reached this point probably when my youngest daughter was about 
five or six months old where I just realized that I was floating through life. Mm -hmm. I was surviving. I still existed. I was left alive, but I wasn't really living the life that Jesus had come for me to have. Mm -hmm. I wasn't living abundantly. Yeah. And so... I had to reach this point of knowing that I wanted to heal and I wanted to live a full life. I wanted to see color again. I wanted to enjoy the joys of motherhood and be fully present for my husband and for my kids and really for myself too, because that's what we're created for. That's what Jesus desires for us. And so it was embarking on this journey of wrestling with the Lord of even knowing, I mean, I didn't, I wanted to live fully again, but I didn't know if it was possible. And if it was possible, I didn't even know how to get there. Mm -hmm. And God has been so faithful to meet me where I was at and to gently guide me. And I see his fingerprints all throughout my story now, even where he showed up and I didn't see it. And even as he was, he was preparing the way for me to be able to reclaim a full life that Jesus came for us to have when I was unaware of that. But now being on this side of it, I see it. That's amazing. So that's kind of a perfect segue. Tell me about your book. You just wrote a book. I did. I know. And I, I'm sorry, am I allowed to say um, I got to write the foreword? I got to write the foreword. Yeah, yeah. So you got to write the foreword. I'm so honored and so humbled that you even asked me and I'm just so proud of you and so excited for this book. But tell me about your book. Thank you. Yeah, so it is called Beyond Survival, Reclaiming My Life After I Survived Rape. Mm-hmm. It is set to be released at the end, late October. Of 2023. Maybe. So this year we're in, 2023. Yes, yes, late mm-hmm. October. Um, and maybe when this airs, I'll have a definitive release date, which would be awesome for you to have. Mm-hmm. But it is all about what we've been talking about today, just my story and what God has done in it and through it and how he has led me to be able to reclaim a full life. And I wrote it kind of as like a guide for mm-hmm. other women like who a survival find guide. themselves yeah for themselves in the situation and for the loved ones mm-hmm. that are kind of left in the wake and tend to be the unspoken collateral damage to mm-hmm. know how to walk alongside us in a way that is helpful and mm-hmm. effective and and to care for us well yeah that's so good man Um, I I end the podcast with the same type of question. And so um, I just want to ask you, so um, your book has tangible wisdom for listeners and you have, you have just given kind of poured your heart out about your story and what God's done and how hard it is. And this, I highly encourage anybody listening that when this book releases to get a copy, just because there's clearly so much more. But for the listener who has found themselves dealing with something similar, they can they can put themselves in your story in some form or fashion. Um, mm-hmm. Whether they're struggling in silence, whether they're actively pursuing healing, what would you say to any victim of assault? Hmm. 
So much. I would say so much. Um, well, the very first thing I would say is thank you for trusting me with your story. Yeah. The second thing I would say is I believe you mm-hmm. and this wasn't your fault. No matter what the circumstances were around your assault, it does not matter. It 100% is not your fault. The third thing I would say is um, press into the Father. Mm-hmm. Lean into God. I would reassure them to know and want them to know that God didn't abandon you. In that moment, he was with you. And I would pray with them for God to show them where he was Mm -hmm. in those moments. And then ultimately, it may sound trite, or I always say this, and it it might sound old, but really, it's so important to remember that Jesus wins. Mm -hmm. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. And so at the end of the story, Jesus wins. Yeah. We just have to hold on to that because he is the master redeemer mm-hmm. and he does take everything and use it when we're able to surrender it to him for good, mm-hmm. even though it might not be the good that we think <laughs> that we need, Right. but it is used for good and for his glory. And so um, just lean in and, and trust in the promises that Jesus gives us. Amen. Well, we could not possibly tackle all there is to in this in one podcast, but um, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your time and for your story and for your heart. And I'm just um, super blessed that I've gotten to know you all these years and walk with you through this. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation on the Stories Unveiled podcast. We would love it if you would leave us a rating or review. If you would like to learn more about Stories Unveiled and our events, go to storiesunveiledconference.com or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at storiesunveiled underscore. The Stories Unveiled podcast is created in partnership with KTSY and Barefoot Media Ministries. For more encouragement and other podcasts, visit ktsy.org. Have an incredible day and go live unveiled.